drinking over there i just opened a rheingeist brewing slangria which is an ale with apple pomegranate blueberry and lime i was trying so hard to get another pumpkin beer because i was like only seasonal (laughs) beers during october and november and for some reason uh they seem to be in short supply in my area but i saw this and it because it had uh well, it doesn't have cranberry in it. Never mind. <laughs> I was thinking I was still seasonal because it had cranberry in it. Oh, well. Close wah, enough. Wah. We'll pretend. It has apples in it. Ooh, there we see, go. There you go. It's like cider, <laughs> but not. Exactly. That's right. So what are you drinking over there? So my husband went to the store this morning and came back with a six-pack of Lining Google's Harvest Patch Shandy. Which tastes like pumpkin pie. And it is pretty good. The aftertaste is a little like not pumpkin pie, but it's still really good. And I like any kind of line of Google shandy. So I'm the seasonal one today. (laughs) And I didn't even know I was going to be. That's awesome. And I totally forgot to tell you that I poured it into my new Give Zero Clucks Uh unbreakable shatterproof Ooh. wine tumbler yes yeah it's got the shiny blue give zero cluck so yeah i'm i'm liking it i love this cup thank you you're welcome and those are up on the shop shameless plug at drinkandfarm.com <laughs> shop uh yeah and the pictures do not do those just justice because it's like far shinier in person agreed totally agree yes and welcome to We Drink and We Farm Things. This is the farm comedy podcast that is an adult happy hour for your ears. We drink adult beverages, talk about the ups and downs of farming things, and give zero clucks about not having the perfect farm life. We keep it real with you and share the mistakes we've made and the new knowledge we gain for our community of both small and large-scale farmers. And sometimes we go off on non-farming related tangents, but we cut a lot of those and throw them up on the Patreon for you. And this episode's outtakes are exclusively for our Patreon peeps. And you can go check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash drinkandfarm. We have really fun things up there, uh, like exclusive recordings and pictures. And it's an excellent way to support the podcast. And it's only at like $2 a month. Um, So go check that out. And consider signing up if you're not a peep, because Bev posts all of our hilarious outtakes up there. And you're going to want to listen to those. Yeah, they're pretty good. Trust me. (laughs) And speaking of the Patreon, our drinks this episode were sponsored by at Ashley Kiernan. So cheers, lady. Cheers. So we do have a bit of a correction from last week. We Last week we talked about um, bees and how they're great for PTSD, for uh, veterans. And I guess I should like not be so general and say beekeeping. The practice of beekeeping can help with PTSD with veterans. Um, and I said something like off the cuff about like how you probably can't keep bees in Chicago. And in my mind, I was like thinking like a Chicago apartment um, but <laughs> our friend Natalie Quist shared in our group that you actually can keep bees in Chicago. Um, and it, it kind of depends on your yard, but there are a lot of people that have bees. Um, there are rooftop hives and hives along the lakefront. And she actually talked about like tasting some of the honeys from around the city. Um, and how they're very diverse because there's a variety of landscaped plants downtown and around the lakefront parks and the honeys are really dynamic and the bees actually do really well there. So I was happy to be corrected there because I think that is really neat and it's something that I didn't know that I know now. So thank you, Natalie. 
That's awesome. Yeah, when I read that, I just laughed because I was like, yeah, you know, Chicago, they're kind of like going through that little renaissance where they've been like voting on trying to get people to be allowed to uh, like foodscape their front yards and stuff like that and stop HOAs from being able to put that in like their bylaws and whatnot. So I wasn't surprised to see that they had actually taken steps to make sure that if you had the right setup, you can actually do some beekeeping. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. So I also have just a tiny bit of follow-up from last week, and it was triggered by a really nice post that Montana Coombs had actually posted to Facebook, um, like on the day that we happened to drop that episode about veterans and PTSD and beekeeping. And it talked about how being a part of the military is like having another family. And for Uh some people, the military is their only family. So that was like just like a small piece of the puzzle that we didn't talk about. So I just wanted to mention that that family aspect could also be just a small part on why transitioning back to civilian life can be really difficult for some people. So I wanted to make sure that we just like didn't ignore that part of it. (laughs) No, I think that's great. And I like that seeing a post from one of our listeners triggered that um, because she was in the military. So I am all about that. Look back for that reason. I think that could definitely trigger someone Um, to have depression or anxiety or some mental health um, thing that they need help with because you go from being around your family 24-7 in a really intense situation to, you know, maybe coming back and being alone. So that's a really interesting aspect that I'm glad that you brought up because we didn't cover it last week. So thank you. All right, and now we can just dive right into this week's episode, and I'm pretty excited about this, Um, but I have to thank you, Bev, because you're the one that sent me all the information in the middle of the week and gave me, like, (laughs) these little, like, too long didn't read summaries, which you had explained to me what that (laughs) abbreviation was, and I was like, oh, totally, yeah, (laughs) yeah, Um, but this week we're going to talk about how there have been a couple of articles and some studies floating around about how red meat might not be so bad for you. Um, So clink our glasses virtually because, I mean, who doesn't want to eat more bacon, right? (laughs) I mean, unless you're vegetarian or vegan. But even if you are vegetarian or vegan, I still think that you'll find some of this information really fascinating because a lot of what we're going to discuss today is about how... The scientific study of food and nutrition isn't perfect. Not at all. And how these studies are nice, but it's not simple. Not one bit. And it's complicated in a way that probably will just make you want to, like, go eat your feelings. At least that's (laughs) kind of how that made me feel. (laughs) And we want to point out that we are not nutritionalists or scientists, or anything like that. So we're just going to go over a couple articles today that do a really great job summarizing those studies and how they were done and how they're different from other studies that have been done about red meat to give you like our thoughts and feelings on it. Um, So don't go off and buy 30 pounds of bacon and eat it in a weekend because Sam and Beth said so. Because you're probably not gonna, you're probably not gonna feel great. Whether it's not bad for you, um, because everything in moderation, right? Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean that's yeah. my dad's motto, and so that's kind of like bled into my life and become my motto. One of his favorite things to tell me was that even eating too many peanut butter sandwiches will kill you. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I mean I imagine if you eat too much celery or something, that's not great for you either. So. Anyways, <laughs> I digress. Yes. But um, the first article we're going to go over today is from Vox.com. And the title is Beef, Bacon, Red Meat, Health Effects. Well, that's what the link says. But the actual title is, Is Eating Beef Healthy? The New Fight Raging in Nutrition Science Explained. Because, you know, you can't throw around headlines like meat isn't so bad for you, especially red meat, without pissing off like several groups of people. Yeah, which is really interesting because I think that that kind of points out that everybody has like an implicit bias about how Mm -hmm. they feel about the way that people eat. And I think that 
your natural inclination is to have an implicit bias towards whatever it is that you choose to do because other people choosing to do something different is a direct attack on what you do, right? I mean, if you're on Twitter, if you're on Twitter, yes. (laughs) But like, I think that's kind of where like all of this talk about what you should eat and what you shouldn't eat kind of ends up getting people all up in arms. (laughs) Yeah, yes, exactly. I agree. Um, So for this new study, it was a group of 14 researchers who... Um, did a new series of studies that upends years of nutrition advice about meat. So there were five systematic reviews. So this isn't new research. This is them reviewing research that has happened. Um, These were published Monday in the journal Annals of Internal Medicine. And the reviews suggest there's no health reason to eat less red meat, not even bacon, not even salami, and you've been told for years to cut back on it or completely ditch it, which life without bacon to me as a meat eater um, just sounds horrible. <laughs> yeah. And if I'm being completely honest, which I will always try to be, I actually have cut down on our bacon consumption because of some of the studies about the link between uh, like colon cancer and processed mm-hmm. meats. Mm-hmm. You know, bacon is still like really fatty and whatnot. So you probably shouldn't eat it like all day, every day. Right. But right. I'm glad to know that like I'm not murdering my children by serving bacon no. for breakfast because they really like it too. <laughs> no. And we could spend a whole nother episode talking about fat and if fat's actually bad for you and what kind of fat's bad for you and in what quantity is fat bad for you and get a bunch of different people fired up too right (laughs) but today we're just gonna get like this one group fired up (laughs) well and I think that that's really important to point out too because it's just like like what you said at the beginning when we started like it's just it's just more complicated than that Mm -hmm. it's not it's not simple (laughs) exactly so this whole pioneering of pissing people off was led by uh, Dalhousie University. I don't know if I said that right, but it was this guy. He's an epidemiologist. His name is Bradley Johnston. Um, And along with the authors, um, they all hail from like seven different countries. And they focused on the impact of red meat consumption on cancer, cardiovascular disease, and mortality among other effects, as well as people's values and preferences regarding red meat. So we're getting quite a few different perspectives, even like culturally, when it comes to like the people's values. Like, the, so you're you're having seven different countries and researchers from seven different countries look at this. That means they all have different cultural bias that they have to try to work against when they're reviewing this. Yeah. And based on these studies, their conclusions summarized in the new annals of clinical guidelines. I'm not going to lie. I'm totally going to say annals Anal. instead of annals sometimes. <laughs> I I know what the word annals means, but for some reason I see it. And because I'm like 13, I giggle just a little bit. <laughs> so their conclusions challenge the guidelines from just about every major national and international health group, which is kind of a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're poking the bear big time here. <laughs> yeah. Just four years ago, the World Health Organization's International Agency for Research on Cancer announced that people should cut back on processed meat if they wanted to avoid certain types of cancer. And the American Heart Association and the U.S. government's dietary guideline panels have also long suggested curbing our meat habit for better health. But the authors of the new studies argue that people can quote unquote, continue their current consumption of both unprocessed red meat and processed meat, meaning that whatever amount they're currently eating. So, yeah. Hmm. So basically keep doing what you're doing. (laughs) Pretty much. I mean, so you are the only person that knows how you feel. So if your Mm -hmm. current eating habits make you feel good, then keep doing that. But if they don't, you know, explore some alternatives. That's right. And the researchers feel confident saying this because the health impact of cutting back is either proclaimed to be non-existent or small. And the evidence of any harms is so weak 
that it'd be misleading to suggest people should avoid meat for health reasons. And it's important to point out that the studies did not investigate non-health reasons for cutting back on beef and bacon, including animal welfare and meat production's impact on the environment. And now we want to point out just really briefly here that um, there has been a lot of talk about animal agriculture's impact on the environment. We're going to get into that next week, but please like, don't hang us out to dry because we mentioned the environmental impacts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so hang tight with us. Um, and we're excited about that for next week. So stay tuned. Yeah. Yes. So basically, like in conclusion, what's really interesting about this new series is that the argument that was previously published in all these guidelines, these new researchers are basically saying that it was all bad science. And there's a quote from a meta researcher from Stanford. His name's John Ioandis is my guess of how to say his last name. Um, He said, these papers provide a nice counterbalance to the current norm in nutritional epidemiology where scientists with strong advocacy tend to overstate their findings and ask for major public health overhauls, even though the evidence is weak. I feel like Adam ruins everything right now with this article. I kind (laughs) of like it. (laughs) I kind of do too. We've already obviously pointed out that they're basically poking a few really big bears. Um, And there's been some fierce blowback from various groups who've long argued that red and processed meat consumption should be curbed. So the American Cancer Society, American Heart Association, Harvard School of Public Health, and a slew of other researchers have come forward and objected to the series. The Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, a group that's long endorsed a plant-based diet, uh, filed a petition with the Federal Trade Commission in response to the studies asking the agency to correct false statements contained in the report, which they deemed a major disservice to public health. That guy sounds like he needs a beer. (laughs) Right. So how did the authors of the new studies come to a wildly different conclusion? That is an excellent question. Yes, tell us, Bev. It's less a story about whether or not one should eat meat and more about the challenges of nutrition science and how eating recommendations should be made. So here's why the study authors determined eating red meat is fine for health. In the past... Many of the groups that have set guidelines for whether or not humans should cut back on meat considered a very broad range of of research, from animal evidence to case control studies, a relatively weak type of observational research. And as you may have guessed, there are all kinds of problems with these kinds of study designs. So some of the problems are models based on animal studies don't always bear out in humans. I mean, we're not animals. I mean, we kind of are, but... We are. <laughs> We're different yeah. kinds of animals. <laughs> yeah. A little more complex than most, I would think. <laughs> yeah, I would say so, too. And case control studies are not the most reliable either because researchers tend to start with an endpoint. Like, for example, they start by studying somebody who already has cancer. Mm. And for each person with a disease, they find a match, which is considered the control, somebody that doesn't have the disease. And then they look backwards in time to try to determine if any patterns of exposure, in the case that we're specifically talking about, it's eating meat, differed in those with cancer compared to those who don't have cancer. Sounds super complicated. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Clear as mud. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But since meat eaters differ so fundamentally from those who don't eat meat, the reasons the two groups have varying health outcomes could have nothing to do with meat. Researchers try to control for these confounding factors, but they can't capture them all. And when I read that, that totally made sense to me. Like a lot of the people that I know that are vegans or are vegetarians, they also tend to, and I'm generalizing here, so I'm not saying that this is everybody, but they tend to also like exercise really well. They spend Mm -hmm. a lot of time in nature, so they're very conscientious about their mental health. A lot of them that I know don't necessarily work crazy, stressful jobs. Like there are just things that are different in their lives. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that could just be with my, you know, narrow group of friends. But from what I've observed, I have seen just like differences in people who don't eat meat and people that do. Yeah. 
And I'm sure that that translates to other things and you can't put people in boxes. So like, obviously that's not going to be everybody, but. (laughs) Right. So if we have some rageful, like couch potato, um, that has an extremely stressful job that's listening or, you know, we're not talking about you. (laughs) You're a rare breed. There's like an 80, 20 rule. I think with a lot of that stuff, I think that would be my experience too, Bev, with the vegans and vegetarians I know, but I also know some vegans and vegetarians that are pretty overweight. Um, So I've seen that end of the spectrum too. And it's just a personal choice for them to not eat that way, but it doesn't mean that just because you eat a certain way that you are a superior being, um, based on the things I've seen anyways, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. (laughs) Well, and you know, there's all sorts of other health factors that go into your weight. So it's not necessarily just your diet. You can eat everything perfectly and still struggle with your weight because of some other underlying thing that your body is dealing with. So yeah, it's really hard to like generalize people. (laughs) Yeah. And you could be overweight and not eat meat or you could have cancer and not eat meat. So anyways, getting off the tangent bus, getting back on the research bus. (laughs) We didn't mean to piss off any vegans or vegetarians. We love you all equally. Well, and that was basically what I was trying to say. I was just trying to point out, like, I felt like the language that they used was just, like, very harsh. And I just wanted to say yeah. that, like, I know people that fall on all sorts of the spectrums. <laughs> yes. Same Z's. And also, some of the past reports on meat eating have also factored in the environmental and social effects of gobbling up steaks and bacon. We've already talked about how we're going to talk about the environmental effects later. So don't hang us out to dry for that again. Yes, please. So the five annals papers did something different with these studies. So they only looked at the health effects of processed and unprocessed meat. So processed red meats, everything from hot dogs and bacons to lunch meats are transformed by salting, curing, or fermentation. And unprocessed meats include beef, veal, pork, lamb, and venison. So as we mentioned before, these papers were systematic reviews and meta-analysis or a synthesis of the research evidence that bring together a bunch of studies with the goal of coming, coming to more fully supported conclusions. And the researchers used a very strict definition of what constituted reliable evidence for inclusion in their reviews. So they trusted the research rating system called GRADE, or the Grading of Recommendations Assessment, Development, and Evaluation, to decide which studies to include in their papers. So GRADE was actually developed for creating summaries of research evidence to help guide health-making decisions. And it's currently the most widely used tool for evaluating the quality of science, which more than 110 organizations endorsing the method use. Um, And the idea behind GRADE is to push reviewers to base their conclusions on only the most certain evidence available. So I think the goal here is to, like, rule out any bias because you're using a, a form of measurement to cling to and kind of do, like, a sanity check against. Yeah, that makes total sense. And according to the tools criteria, in the case of meat consumption and health, um, that was large cohort studies and randomized control trials. So the researchers simply threw out everything else, including animal studies. So that's not a part of this. The logic was simple. So what GRADE does is it says we should rely on the highest quality of evidence. In this instance, they use 600 cohort studies alone. Which is a lot of research. I don't think you can turn your nose up to that. Yeah, I I totally agree. So cohort studies are considered to be more trustworthy than case control studies. Um, And in in cohort studies, what happens is they follow people with a known exposure, like eating meat, through time, waiting to see if, when, and how many people develop a particular health outcome, such as, you know, heart disease or cancer. So this means researchers are not left searching for artificial controls to match their cases. And since participants are followed forward, researchers can track in real time what they're eating instead of relying on people's faulty memory of the past. Like, if you asked me what I ate last week, I have no clue. 
I mean, I'm sure I ate tacos at some point, but that's about it. <laughs> if you asked me what I ate last week, I would totally downplay the number of ice cream bars I consumed, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> oh, I love it. Okay, so randomized control trials, meanwhile, are deemed the gold standard in health research. So they take two groups of people and randomly assign them to an intervention. In this case, either they are told to eat meat or not eat meat. So the idea is that the only difference between the two is the intervention and not any of those other confounding factors like socioeconomic status. And while they're challenging and rare in nutrition research, they're generally more reliable than, say, animal models. So that's why the conclusions of the series look different from other similar reports. They used a new approach to evaluate nutrition research, and they picked out the best available evidence, and they threw out the rest. So they're kind of doing like a brand new thing. And anytime you try to do a brand new thing in a place that's kind of stuffy where the same things have been done over and over again, people are going to get pissed and they're going to question you. So I can totally understand why these really well-established large groups are coming at them kind of strong. Yeah, it's another of our like natural inclination to like knee-jerk no to anything that doesn't fit Mm -hmm. into what we're already familiar with. So this is just another reason why keeping an open mind is good. Much harder said than done, though. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) So with all this research, the researchers generally found either no benefit on cutting back on meat or one so small and based on such weak evidence that it was really unreliable. And for the fifth review, the researchers looked at people's feelings about meat consumption, again, focusing only on health concerns, not moral, ethical, or environmental reasons for avoiding meat. And they found that a lot of people are actually attached to meat and feel being able to eat it influences their quality of life, which I get that. And I think I really see my husband getting that, too, because if I try to make, like, a chili without meat, he doesn't say it, but he just looks sad. He looks really sad about it. (laughs) I can't stop laughing about that. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm just imagining Matt sad eating chili. (laughs) But he's grateful that he has it, and he's grateful that I take took the time to make it, and he's got his like sour cream on it, and maybe some cheese. But I mean, it it doesn't taste the same. So and so I'll say I kind of run into the same thing around here. Like I've had Jared say to me a handful of times, like, "Hey, can we like unthaw some meat for dinner tonight?" Because we don't eat a lot of meat around here and some of it is because like I like the idea of buying meat locally which obviously costs more money Mm -hmm. and raising some meat which is a lot of effort and time and you know we haven't had a lot of time to do that this year so I've really been cutting us back and my husband's like but eating meat for dinner just like really makes me feel full like I ate Mm -hmm. a real meal and some of my vegetarian meals are more filling than others, but when I'm in a really big hurry, my vegetarian meals tend to be pasta and a sauce, which isn't very nutritionally dense. So, like, I understand that. (laughs) Yeah, that's interesting. So, I really liked in this article, too, how the author at the very end, or near the end, I should say, um, kind of summarized the guideline recommendations that the researchers put forth. So he summarizes it like this. Um, The panel suggests that adults continue current unprocessed red meat consumption. And similarly, the panel suggests adults continue current processed meat consumption. And then he goes on to say, in grade, there are four levels of evidence, which we started talking through earlier. um, But he boils it down to uh, evidence that's rated down if it's deemed problematic for any reason, from imprecision to risk of being biased. In the case of red meat and disease, uh, the researchers determined even the best evidence was low certainty. So um, the the overall kind of feel of everything was that the researchers were just closer to saying we don't really know if red meat has health effects, which is kind of funny to me because it's uncomfortable in a way <laughs> because there's been so much pressure and so much quote unquote other research that 
people have just been saying, like, this is bad for you. This is bad for you. Don't do it. You're going to die. Um, but it turns out that from this viewpoint, it's really a weak recommendation to say that it's bad for you. Well, and I think that one of the reasons why so much research has been done, particularly on red meat, is because, like, as human beings, we're looking for a reason why so many of our friends, family, and loved ones are ending up with different types of cancers. People want an answer. They want to know why right. it feels like more people are getting cancer now than they used to. And so, you know, they're looking for a culprit. And when the slightest indication that a culprit is found was found in the past, it kind of seems like they were erring on the side of caution, but not actually looking at all the data. Uh, I think that makes a lot of sense. And anytime you get a whiff of something, um, it's easy, especially when, like, like you're saying, it's like an emotional reaction. It's easy to kind of throw that at people and for them to consume it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so going back to the poking of the bears. Um, while people like the tough-to-please meta-researcher John Ionidas <laughs> called this series very rigorous and unbiased, other people were not impressed. So the Harvard School of Public Health um, is known for being biased, I'll say, or um, maybe promoting a plant-based Mediterranean eating pattern. Um, they issued a response to the series, essentially discrediting it for discounting all the evidence showing meat's links with poor health. Christopher Garter from um, Stanford is a nutrition researcher. He called the study's grade approach inappropriate for nutrition. And he says he respects that they wanted to have clear-cut evidence, but it won't apply to lifestyle. Oh, what a party pooper. Um, right. <laughs> other guidelines consider observational epidemiology in addition to animal research and randomized trials. He added, if you do that and you're the World Health Organization, you say, based on the overall evidence from multidisciplines, this is our best advice. So this guy's basically saying, because it was so scoped down and kind of like tunnel vision to certain kinds of studies, um, they think that does a discredit to the research. Which, fair, from that guy's point of view, I can see where he's coming from. Do I agree with him? Not necessarily. Then there's a uh, concern over the series omission of meat's impact on climate, water, land, and pollution. Um, and he said the, this is a missed opportunity because climate change and environmental degradation De degradation has serious effects on human health and thus is important to consider when making recommendations on a diet. But to me, this sounds separate because this is talking about meat's impact on climate, water, land, and pollution, not I'm going to eat this meat that I grew in the backyard by myself. Is it going to give me cancer? Those seem like two very different things for me. They are, but I think the reason why they tried to lump it together here is because they were saying meat's overall impact on health and like our oh, air quality yeah. and our water quality and our quality of life are all parts of like what makes up an entire human being's health profile, I suppose. I get that, but I think at least the impression I get from the these anal studies... <laughs> <laughs> is that they were just going for like is eating this gonna kill me yeah that was kind of how they seemed to frame mm -hmm. it but they did use the term like health and overall health so Fair and, you enough. know i mean and it, it's totally not out of the it, it's not out of the realm of possibility that some researchers might be throwing you know like a straw man argument at this like you know they're mm -hmm. only talking about your health and whether or not eating this certain thing is going to make you drop dead in a certain number of years. So somebody comes in and says, oh, well, what about all the water pollution? Like, that's that's a straw man argument. So that's not what we're talking right. about. We're not talking about water pollution. <laughs> we're talking about whether or not eating this bacon is going to give me colon cancer. <laughs> right. Just like I asked you know, you might ask your kids to eat their broccoli and then they make up some random excuse that has nothing to do with eating the broccoli. Basically yeah. sounds like the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, so that kind of closes out the Vox article. So the next article, we'll kind of go through 
relatively quickly because it kind of crosses over in the information is from sciencealert.com. And the title of the article is Here's the Real Truth About That Confusing Red Meat Study. So I'm glad that other people indicate that there's confusion here. It's not just us. It's not just the beer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, so part of it is confusing because we're not scientists. So scientists are trying to do their best to communicate with the public. And farmers run into this problem all the time when they're talking about new things that they're doing or things that they're working on. They're talking to a general public that doesn't have anything to do with their line of business. So like there's a lot of the terminology and a lot of the things that like an expert in the field takes for granted as well-known knowledge that just isn't well-known public knowledge. Like when you're talking to the public, you almost have to talk to them like they're second graders, but then you also don't want to mm-hmm. offend them. So <laughs> right, right, because you don't want them to think they're stupid or that you think that they're stupid. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. So this article starts out, you know, stating that. There have been a ton of studies about red meat being associated with poor health for a number of reasons, um, and that these headlines are now rolling in. People are upset. People are confused. But overall, it's just really complicated. But it boils down to a simple fact of nutrition science is far harder than most people assume. Like you said, we're not scientists. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to kind of jump into the part of this article here that talks about the systematic science, um, because in the Vox article, they're like, yay, this is a great way to look at things. Um, But obviously, the other researcher groups did not agree with that approach. So we already know that the systematic review is why it's been so different. Um, So apparently, there are some problems with that. Um, and the inherent problem is somewhat about interpretation. So we can do everything we want to, you know, control our biases, um, which is what the researchers appear to have done here. But ultimately, reviews of research are always going to have some elements of bias in them. So what this means is that you always have to read systematic reviews very carefully to see what was done and how reasonable the conclusions are based on the methodology. And in this case, the biggest difference between the new studies and the past research seems to boil down to the argument of whether the evidence is solid enough to form any kind of, like, conclusion. (laughs) Yeah, and it's important to note that that wasn't the only difference, but that's, like, the the main point if you have to have a main one. Yes, the glaring difference. Yes. So, the scientists have not said that red meat isn't harmful, Um, What they've said is that the current level of evidence is not sufficient to make recommendations about red meat consumption. And previously, research has drawn different conclusions from essentially the same data. And remember, they are reviewing the same studies that other systematic reviews were looking at. So the main difference comes from the interpretation rather than the evidence itself. The new studies argue that since the evidence we have is relatively sparse, we can't tell people what to do based on that research. Previous studies have instead said that we have enough evidence to know that red meat, particularly if it's processed, probably causes harm. And since there are definitely alternatives that don't carry the same risks, we should tell people to switch to those because, you know, better safe than sorry. And it's a very subtle point. No one is saying that red meat is definitely harmless, and they're certainly not saying that it's good for your health. So the argument really boils down to how confident we can be about what red meat is actually doing to us and our health. Not complicated at all. (laughs) (sighs) Big sigh. Big sigh. (laughs) In conclusion, everybody wants a take home, right? We want something simple that we can all understand. And we want the question answered of, is red meat a horrible cancer causing nightmare? Um, You know, without too many long words or confusing qualifications. (laughs) Everybody wants a slogan. They want something that can turn into a hashtag. Beef, it's what for dinner, you know? Yeah. (laughs) So here's this author's take on what the simple answer is. So nutrition science is fiendishly complicated and we'll probably never know definitively whether red meat is good or bad for your health. Um, there, and there's actually like no simple take home message for this. 
Um, There are certainly signals of risk that suggest that red meat probably contributes to things like cardiovascular disease and cancer, but these risks are likely to be quite small and in the scheme of things, not very meaningful to your life. And while there is some experimental evidence on the topic, it's basically impossible to run that kind of trial that would definitely prove that red meat was good or bad. Realistically, this would involve randomizing them, feeding meat, no meat to thousands of people for decades, which is probably unethical and pretty impractical because yeah. that's extreme. <laughs> Unless they're going to make me like a millionaire. Um, I don't think so. I'm imagining people like all locked into these like glass <laughs> rooms, like something out of, uh, oh my gosh, my mind just blanked on the name of the show. Uh well shit it'll come back to me someday but it's totally like futuristic like freaky science like I'm imagining cloning people like for the purpose of a study like this and then like making it into a movie where like Scarlett Johansson escapes and finds love with one of the scientists and yeah there you go yeah so (laughs) aside from force them to eat a certain way so we can figure out if it's going to kill us or not Um, The real message from this study seems to be that a variety of eating patterns are probably fine for your health. And if you want to eat red meat, that is probably not that harmful to you. And if you want to cut it out entirely, you're probably justified to do so. So it's kind of like, I think what Bev said at the beginning, like, you know your body the best. What makes you feel optimal? Sounds like our husbands feel most optimal if they get meat at dinner. Me, I could go without sometimes, you know, but... But I do feel fuller longer if I do have meat for a meal. That is true. And one thing's for sure. Anytime I eat any kind of Chinese food or stir fry, I'm hungry like an hour later. So I don't know what is up with that. But (laughs) that is like the exception to the rule. (laughs) It's mostly breaded. (laughs) Oh, there we go. (laughs) But anyways, so guys, really, if you want to eat red meat, eat it. Just probably don't binge on it and kind of spice up the variety in your diet. And we'll we'll kind of keep an eye on this too to see if more stuff starts coming out um, and maybe we'll have to do some follow-up on it. But I think this is interesting too because we have all that talk of like like the fake meat or oh, the yeah. meatless meat. And now like Burger King has like a plant-based burger. Um, that's supposed to taste like real meat. So I think with all this like fake meat or lab grown meat, like maybe that's why some people are so pissed off because you always have to ask yourself too, who's funding the research? Yeah, because who's funding the research really does matter. Oh, yeah. I don't like to I don't like to fall too far deep down conspiracy theory I rabbit do. holes. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I try not to because my brain will ruminate on it and it's not good for my mental health. <laughs> but like, so it kind of brings me back to like, you know, the way that business used to be run. Like, have you ever read The Jungle? Like that was required reading and like everybody's high school I think so, yeah. or something. Yeah. And like you hear about like the awful things that have happened within our industries and I'm not talking about the meat industry specifically, but all industries, they're looking out for their own best interests. And when they are the ones that hire the scientists full time and pay the benefits and whatnot, like scientists are supposed to not have bias, but we're human beings. And that's really, really difficult. So that's why it's important to have multiple studies, people from multiple different backgrounds, people working for several different organizations looking at it. It's just not all cut and dry. So that's why like that you can do this because it's science. Like, well, it yeah, that's a great hashtag, but it doesn't like <laughs> it's not a full picture. It's it's a very small piece of the puzzle. <laughs> yes. Agreed. All right. Now it's we can't even corner. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I kind of snuck a peek at yours and I'm like need you to tell me what's going on. Okay, so I'm doing something a little different for my can't even this week. I did not find an article that I just like couldn't even over. I can't believe that my husband talked me into scheduling a float in a sensory deprivation chamber. 
<laughs> yeah, this is basically sounds like my worst nightmare. Yeah, it sounds like my worst nightmare, too. And when he said it, he's like, this is your worst nightmare, isn't it? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, it is. But I love you, so I'll try it. Oh. <laughs> so I haven't gone and done it yet, but I thought it would be funny to read some of the things that I was reading about it before I said yes. And when I read this, you're going to be like, why the F did you say yes to this? <laughs> oh boy. But I'll link to it in the show note. It's it's a really cute like article from thecut.com and it's called uh, I Survived My Terrifying Hour in a Float Spa. <laughs> <laughs> so she has like a, a really good write-up. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's really long and we just don't have time for that. So definitely go check out this article if you're interested in floating in a sensory deprivation tank. But um, she talks about like all of like the things that you think about when you hear about a sensory <laughs> deprivation tank. And like it sounds really woo woo, number one. And it's like pretty far out there. But there's actually been like sensory deprivation tanks, I think, since like the 60s or 70s or something like that. So it's not oh, like a new concept. Okay. Yeah. So like old hippies have been doing this for forever, apparently. <laughs> Are we sure it wasn't used as a form of like like interrogation right <laughs> like, i mean was it the hippies or was it for like counterterrorism? <laughs> fair enough i have no idea and i don't think the cut goes into that either <laughs> so in this article this is how the author describes being in a sensory deprivation tank for the first time she said lying in the darkness i couldn't see anything i couldn't hear anything save for my own breathing and the drip of the tank's filter system I adjusted my leg, flooding another cut with salt water, and suddenly all I could focus on was the intense burning spreading through my ankle as the salt water entered the wound. Is this sepsis, I thought? Will I get sepsis? What is sepsis even? (laughs) Then a little bead of salt water rolled into my ear and I started to panic. My whisper guide had pointed out some vinegar that I was supposed to put in my ears to flush out in case salt water got into them, and I hadn't asked what would happen if salt water did remain in my ear. So now I was having a flashback to some girl at camp when I was 10. She had gotten river water in her ears, and for whatever reason, it made her barf every day. They took her away to the infirmary. (laughs) We never saw her again. Was I going to die barfing? And is this what it would have felt like to be on the Titanic? (laughs) (laughs) I started thinking about how many thoughts my brain was able to form in mere seconds. A voice from somewhere else in my brain started commenting on those thoughts and judging me for not being able to stop thinking them, thereby forming more very loud thoughts. I couldn't figure out how many minutes or hours I had been in the tank, and that's when I realized that there was no panic button in here, and everything became a jumble of death, barf, panic, sepsis, what is sepsis thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) Somewhere from the depths of my consciousness, a voice rolled forth like Simba's father parting the clouds on the Lion King. And like that voice basically said, you got this. You can do it. You're stronger than that. (laughs) So she ended up getting over it. And she figured out how to find peace and calm in a situation that felt very much like dying. And her takeaways were like as a way to survive this is to recite the benefits of the experience like a mantra relaxation rejuvenation hallucinations smooth skin hallucinations is a benefit okay (laughs) relaxation (laughs) (laughs) i already said all of that while reciting make the voice in your head slow down like an unwinding tape reel that does sound more relaxing yeah Sing yourself a song from your favorite album. Unfortunately, the only song I could sing in totality was the new weekend song, Can't Feel My Face, which was a little too on the nose. (laughs) (laughs) I had reached a stage where I literally couldn't feel my body or tell if my eyes were open or closed. I was angry at myself for being so cliche. (laughs) (laughs) And focus on those weird patterns that your eyes make when trying to adjust adjust to darkness while lying in the dark i could see all these purple bursts of color they felt like they were in my eyeball man i was convinced i was watching my neural pathways work and that those neural pathways were connected to galaxies and were all just one with the universe really things got super deep (laughs) (laughs) fall asleep which i think i did though i also could have been in some semi-sleep semi-awake state my spirit also could have left my body traveled the universe seen the future and past and returned to me with a deep emotional knowledge who knows but i was very calm and had some intense visions 
And she says that I was in the middle of a vision in which my boss was waving a broom and yelling at me with my mother's voice. Perhaps this spa should also offer on-site therapy because that was super weird. Vision boss dropped the broom she was holding and the clatter, which turned out to be the wind chime music being piped into my tank, jolted me back into my body. My hour was up. So, yeah, like... I forgot to describe what a sensory deprivation tank is. I made the assumption that everyone would know what this is because it's been kind of made fun of like in pop culture and like mainstream lately. But it's basically like 10 inches of super, super salty water that you float in and it's the exact same temperature of your skin. So the idea is that you're feeling nothing like all five of your senses are totally and completely shut off. So it's just you alone with your brain. And that's why it's so terrifying to me. Yes, same. (laughs) so we'll see how this goes unfortunately you won't know next week because we're doing it on monday columbus day because my husband and i both have columbus day off because we have all the bank holidays off but the kids both go to school so that's what we decided to do with our day off (laughs) so is he doing one too yeah he's doing one too yeah he wanted to do it that's why we're both doing it Uh such a bonding experience it will be So what's your can't even this week? So mine is more cute um, and less scary. (laughs) Um, So it's about how Airbnb has launched its first animal friendly experiences category, which just sounds like a lot of fun to me. Um, so they have continued to expand. Obviously, Airbnb is pretty huge now. Um, and the company encourages animal letter- lovers to put away their tech, ne- tech devices with the funny dog videos and connect with wildlife in a safer environment. Um, so essentially, um, they're capitalizing on how people love animals and want to see and experience them when they travel. But... They also know that they want to see animals in a setting um, that respects their well-being. So, like, going on an African safari is probably not ideal for everyone. (laughs) Um, But a lot of the new highlights um, include uh, Airbnb experiences with no direct contact with wild animals, or you can work with animals um, that are, you know, not overworked. Um, they're not featuring like elephant rides. So it's pretty like they're being conscious of animal welfare policies. Um, so it's like good for the person and good for the animal. It's like consensual in a way, it sounds like. But I, I thought this was really cool. Um, so it's something that I would definitely look at. Like if I was traveling somewhere and decided to opt in for an Airbnb, like to see like what related experiences I could get, because obviously I'm obsessed with animals. And anytime I travel, if there's an animal around, I instantly feel more comfortable. So I thought this was pretty neat. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds super neat. Yeah. And I have great news. We have a farm story this week. What? Yeah, we have one. So we haven't had one in a little bit, um, which happens, but make sure you send those to us. You can send them to us at drinkandfarm at gmail.com or send them to us on instant message like on Facebook or DM on Instagram. It's up to you guys. Just send them to us because we will read them as long as they're appropriate, (laughs) which (laughs) appropriate to us is kind of subjective. So, I mean... Just send it, and we'll most likely read it. (laughs) Yeah, probably. (laughs) Hey, Sam and Bev. I wanted to first say how much I love listening to you guys. Aw, thanks. Um, We moved to Pennsylvania almost a year ago where my husband's job relocated us, and we were able to purchase eight acres of land and a beautiful house. We both grew up in Connecticut, my husband on four acres with livestock, and me in an apartment with no yard. We've always wanted land, so when the PA opportunity was on the table, we took it. So here I am, a city girl, as my husband calls me, taking care of two daughters and my normal mom duties with now land and six chickens and all the other nonsense that comes with owning property. I'm learning as we go and having a great time. Your podcast has definitely helped me feel more connected to like-minded people, and I love the Facebook group. So I just love that. Oh, (laughs) me too. But it's not done. We have the story. So here we go. 
It was a rainy morning, and normally I leave the chickens in their run when it rains. Otherwise, they take refuge on the porch and shit everywhere. And I can agree, (laughs) that happens here too. (laughs) The rain stopped after lunch, so I went to let our chickens out to free range, and I needed to get them some fresh water. I let the chickens out, filled the water from the rain barrel, and then put my head in the nesting box to look for eggs, and this bird flew in the run and almost hit me in the head. I thought it was our asshole rooster. He's on my last nerve, but that's another story. Scared the crap out of me. Turns out it was this hawk. Oh, my God. I saw this picture in the Facebook group. (laughs) After many trips back and forth from the house and and garage to put on gear or call my husband out or call my husband for a pep talk, I finally got it out by catching it with my husband's big fishing net and got it back out the run door. I don't know why I initially thought I was going to grab this bird with leather leather gloves and get it out. The talons (laughs) and beak on this hawk were frightening, and I still can't believe I was that close to it. It was a crazy hour or so. Luckily, myself and all the chickens are safe. The rooster did his job calling all the hens to safety, and one of our Rhode Island Reds even attacked the hawk when I thought, which I thought was pretty ballsy for a hen. Best part was my three-year-old daughter protecting me from the porch with her pop gun and yelling encouragement to me. Oh, that's so cute. (laughs) She's always good for some comic relief. Definitely showed myself I I I can handle more than I realize out here. I didn't think it was brave per se, just went into mama mode and had to protect the chickens. All in all, it was a crazy experience and the poor chickens haven't been free ranging much since. Wanted to share my craziness with you guys. Thanks for all you do and the encouragement you spread on your podcast. Stephanie Wilson on Instagram. You can follow her at at Red Moon Homestead, which, um, no, you're definitely brave. You're a badass bitch. Like, don't minimalize what you did. It's pretty. Yeah, that was what I was just getting ready to say. Like, so those birds of prey, when you got like a close look at them, they're terrifying and awe inspiring. Yeah, they're no joke. Yeah. (laughs) Like yesterday, I saw a hawk flying from the back woods, and it was, like, coming straight for my chickens. And I was, like, in a spot where I couldn't, like, stop it. And I went, guys, run! It's a hawk! (laughs) Like, I was, like, a rooster or something. And, like, it it was kind of starting to dive, but when I did that, it, like, pulled up. And I felt like a bad bitch for that, and I didn't even have to touch it. So you're definitely... Yeah, that you definitely earned yourself a beer there. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. Sure. <laughs> and put something like some punch or something in your daughter's sippy cup because she sounds like she was key to um, helping you out there. She definitely yeah. deserves some Hawaiian punch or something. <laughs> oh, but thank you for sending that. It's so fun to read those. Yeah, I really enjoy reading those. Hearing everybody's stories make me realize that the crazy shit that happens here is just kind of par for the course. Yeah, it's happening everywhere. (laughs) Yeah, other people's hilarious stories, though, just like add to the Rolodex because they're also different. Like even Mm -hmm. though we all raise similar animals, like the things that happen and the weird things that we run into are not the same. (laughs) Right. Agreed. So we've been doing this new thing for about a month. Uh, We will read our favorite Apple podcast review of the week. And so you want to be sure and leave our podcast a review. And if you don't have an Apple product, you can review our podcast by downloading the iTunes app on your laptop or desktop computer. So uh, we're going to take all of the reviews that we read for the month, put them into a little hat, Pull out one name, and that person is going to win an exclusive coffee mug that is not and will never, ever, ever be in the shop. And trust me, you want to win this mug because I have it sitting on my desk now, and I absolutely love it, and I wish I could share pictures of it because it's so cute. Yes. And make sure when you leave your review, too, that uh, you leave your Instagram handle name in the review so we can find you. Um, we definitely want to be able to get a hold of you if you win. If you don't, like, do that or we can't find you, we'll have to redraw and and nobody wants to do that. So we do have a new review this week. Bev, would you like to read this one? I sure will. Okay. 
So it says, Sam and Bev have quickly taken over as my favorite podcast. I was an avid true crime listener, but Bev and Sam won me over. I'm not sure how I stumbled across the podcast, but I am new to this farm life and they are so informative and encouraging. I listen every Friday and have slowly been catching up with the older episodes. Check them out if you want to learn something while also laughing a lot. And that was left by Steffi D1103 on Apple Podcasts. So thanks, Steffi. Yeah, that's awesome. I so love nice. that. Yeah. I mean, we love true crime too, so it sounds like a match made in heaven. <laughs> so just a few quick things before we sign off for the day. Um, if you're not subscribed to us or um, perhaps just double check that you've hit that subscribe button for us and make sure you're downloading the episodes when you listen, this helps more people like you find us. Um, and it's a great way to support the podcast for free. And we very much appreciate it. Yeah. And do us a favor and share this episode over on Instagram in your stories and tag at Drink and Farm because we're going to send you a promo code that is just for that episode that'll give you a percentage off in our merch shop over at drinkandfarm.com shop. And make sure you take a look at the show notes to find links to today's articles and a survey that'll t- that will allow you to tell us how we're doing. Um, and we also have links to our Facebook group and all of our merch shops. So you can go check that out. Um, the hoodies are really cute and I need to order another one now that it's getting cooler here in Michigan. Um, and I sense that some other people, especially our poorer friends to the north, the Canadians that got all the snow... Man, you guys are going to need those hoodies quicker than we thought, huh? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So thanks for listening, guys. We really enjoy that we get to have these uh, open discussions and learn new things while doing something that we love so much. And so we just really appreciate you coming and joining us for that. We couldn't do it without you. Or we could, but we'd just be talking to ourselves and recording it, which might be a little weird. Yeah, that'd definitely be up there on the weird scale. Yeah. (laughs) So drink. Farm. And and give give zero clucks. Bye, guys. Bye. We drink things. We farm things. We drink and farm things.